to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. This episode of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast is proudly brought to you by Rucky Analytics. During this time of reflection, rugby coaches are looking for new ways to help their players improve. Rucky's non-biased approach to game analytics gives coaches and players the ability to identify strengths and weaknesses in their game, highlighting specifically what skills need improving to become successful. Rucky has redesigned the entire performance analysis landscape in order to answer that key question, is my team getting any better? Rucky has the answers. Find out more on rucky.com, R-U-C-K-I-E.com, or find them on Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Rugby Soup. Rugby Soup is a not-for-profit organisation born from the Montreal rugby community during the COVID-19 pandemic and focuses on minimising food insecurity for the city's homeless population. They are producing over 150 meals per day and have delivered almost 6,000 since the pandemic began. A donation of $15 can produce 50 servings of soup and help this organisation continue its amazing work. To find out how to support, visit rugbysoup.com, R-U-G-B-Y-S-O-U-P-E.com, and click on the Donate tab. All right, welcome to episode number 82 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Dr. Summer Christie. Dr. Christie is a mental performance consultant who works with Olympic and Paralympic athletes, coaches, professionals, surgeons, and performers. Her primary focus is to facilitate the enhancement of performance through mental skills training, including neurofeedback and biofeedback. Summer is also a former Canadian national player who competed at two World Cups, the World University Games, and several international test matches. She has also been recently inducted into the Concordia University Sports Hall of Fame, and it's a pleasure to have her on the show. So welcome, Summer. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, we actually were meant to do something a couple of years ago, but it got lost in uh, Facebook messages and uh, all those kind of things. So it's kind yeah. of cool that we've, we've reconnected now to, 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 to do this episode because it's a, a perfect time to discuss uh, you know, some of the ways we can help our athletes and fellow coaches during a global pandemic. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm glad we found a way. I don't know how we lost that at the time, but yeah, no, I'm happy to be involved right now for sure. Perfect, perfect. So uh, touched a little bit on your intro there on your your story career, your rugby career. Um, can you go into a bit more detail about that? The World Cups, the uh, the the Concordia Hall of Fame, those kind of things. Sure. Well, I guess I'll start a little bit earlier because it's it's funny. I, I grew up in the cottage, so I mostly played a whole bunch of I, I just played and water skied, swam, stuff like that. So I never really played organized sports until later on in high school. Yeah. And I had never heard of rugby yeah. <laughs> until grade 10 when I moved um, and they had a football team at the, the school where there was a female playing on the football team. And I said, I really want to do that. But I was too old and too small. And they said, play rugby. It's just like football without equipment. And, um, basically I went for it and never turned back. Yeah. I, it's the, the sport that I'm obviously the most passionate about. Loved it. Played well, high school for two years, SAGEP university, Quebec, uh, junior, senior, Canada, U23, senior 15s and sevens. Um, for the good portion of my life, played with this, my club team for over 17 years. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a big source of all my connections and kind of in sport and in work and in life. Yeah, and if you know, a lot of the listeners won't be familiar with, uh, with Canadian rugby at that, that time, but when you were coming through the Quebec provincial uh, system, there was some, you know, that... that Quebec women's team in the, in that period of time was was huge, incredibly strong. Yeah, I was lucky, and a, a good chunk of us moved to the Canada team, and I had a lot of great mentors uh, that even played on my club team at the time. So ones that I could follow, learn from, and uh, 
use as a source of motivation to push myself and get a little bit higher. Obviously mm-hmm. I'm lucky enough to play, have played on the same club team as Jill Florence and Jose Lacasse, who have been kind of my heroes mentors for years, uh, but also just a source of information it's inspiration to like push myself to get there, but also to believe that I could get there mm-hmm. um, and support along the way. That's yeah. Great. yeah. That's pretty, pretty key uh, for <laughs> sure. And uh, what about, what about the, the move into after CJEP going into university into sports psychology? What was, what was the uh, motivation there? Uh, it, well, it actually came about because of rugby, but not in a way you'd think. Um, I was always interested in sports psychology. I think every athlete is, and especially if you're in a high performance uh, environment, you're interested in any little tips and tricks that you can use to to be just a little bit better. But uh, when I was in university, I was actually uh, studying to be an athletic therapist and, and loved it, super passionate about it. But at the same time, I was playing for Canada. Um, I had to, it was self-funded and continues to be a large portion for the 15s team mm-hmm. to be self-funded. Uh, so at the time, I, um, yeah, so every every jersey kind of had to, I had to pay for it to put on my back. So when I graduated from my bachelor's in athletic therapy, I chose not to certify because I wanted to play for the national team and it didn't really work to uh, be an athletic therapist for a team when I actually wanted to be traveling and playing. So I uh, just chose not to certify and went into like part-time work as a adult ed teacher, probably like like raking lawns and like a whole bunch of other jobs just so I could find my own, find my own rugby. Not to say I didn't have support because I had a lot of support from family Mm. and friends, but, uh, but I, so anyways, I chose not to and, um, pursued my career in rugby, in, in rugby. And when I retired, I went into a nine to five job that I thought would be, you know, okay. And it was okay, but it wasn't what I was super passionate about. I went into Mm. pharmaceutical sales, Mm. um, and I basically a few years into that thinking a nine to five wasn't really what made me excited and passionate. I just reflected back on kind of the things that I'm good at and mm. would love to be able to help and share with other people. I mean, I spent a ton of um, time as a captain, like just being really vocal and working with the athletes and, you know, kind of like, running social activities and different kind of like motivational things that it's just what I was really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I ended up just dropping everything and going back to school, um, which was a lot later to go back to do my master's, but I went back to do my master's at the university of Ottawa. And the reason I went there, it's funny because I, uh, I had read a book while I was in Concordia. I took a course on sports psychology and the book was called In Pursuit of Excellence. Oh, I've read it. Yeah. yeah. Terry Orlick. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I had read it. And then at the moment where I quit my job and I reflected on what I wanted to do, I, I was like, I love this. And I reached out to Terry Orlick. I emailed him. And of course, I don't know if at the time I'm like, oh, this author, an author, they must be from who knows where, the States or something. Mm. But he's from Ontario. So yeah. he's like, yeah, come, come visit me in Chelsea, Quebec. Uh, visited him. Uh, he took me on as a, uh, a master's student at the University of Ottawa for applied uh, intervention and consultation. So it's leading us to mental performance consulting. And so found my like passion there to work with athletes, loved it. Also was kind of uh, spurred on my interest to do research and uh, started following my mentor and my supervisor, Dr. Penny Werthner, um, because she had done research and work with lots of Olympic athletes with uh, biofeedback and neurofeedback, mm-hmm. so which led to a PhD and then continued on that way. So that's a, I guess that's a really long story for how I got into it, but I like to say that you know you know you, you can change your path anytime you want, but follow what you're passionate about, I guess. Is yeah, and bring it back to you to people. I think, um, you know, I've, I've had some experiences like that when I actually went to university as a phys ed uh, to do phys ed and then came out of that and I ended up doing a grad certificate in biodiversity, completely unrelated, but I absolutely loved it and I was in my late 20s then and I just I just crushed it because I was just so passionate about it and it didn't seem like work for me. It just was so enjoyable and so I think that sounds pretty similar to your path. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like that for coaching with you too. I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. That's why I do this. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Your, your postdoctoral research is really interesting and you mentioned it a bit there. You're looking at, um, you do, you've done a lot of work on uh, brainwave activity and performance. Can you, can you talk a little bit about more about that and how maybe like grassroots coaches could apply some of the stuff that you, you've, you've, you've come up with there? Sure. Um, sure. So I was always, I was drawn to it because it's the quantitative side of sports psychology and you got, you can actually see the numbers, um, and look at actual neuroplasticity. Like when you're working with neurofeedback, if I'm to explain the neuro side of it very simply, uh, we have a range of brainwaves that go from really slow to really fast. So they're really slow when you're asleep, you're in a, let's say a Delta frequency, a little bit faster than that is theta, sort of when you're daydreaming or your mind's wandering. So if you're in the middle of the pitch and you're wondering, you know, what to <laughs> eat for lunch, then then you're in theta. <laughs> they have um, alpha, which is kind of an, a brain idling. So your brain's not using a lot of energy. It's just calm, focused idling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, well, alpha is quite a bit higher in shooting sports when you just have a single target um, and you choose when to shoot because you just don't have to think about much. Your body just takes over, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Then beta, low betas would be uh, a focus state. So an intense and sharp focus on one thing uh, with limited distractions. So, you know, when they first discovered it, they described it as a cat ready to pounce. So Mm -hmm. sharp singular focus and then when you get into the higher beta ranges you can imagine if my brain's getting busier then i'm thinking i'm problem solving i'm worrying mm-hmm. ruminating and then i'm anxiety right yeah so our brain does all of this all at the same time so what i try and do is look at what's happening when we're performing well versus when we aren't mm-hmm. so you can probably make an assumption based on the examples that i gave there like when we're performing, we want to have a sharp focus and we don't want to be distracted and we don't want to be worried and ruminating and, and anxious. So mm. that's what I've done is with hockey players, uh, measure their brainwave activity in the three seconds prior to the shot uh, to see what's leading to successful and unsuccessful shots. I've also done it with surgeons as well. Um it's really interesting because I'm start. I'm going to write a case study and I'm linking it back to uh, the the New Zealand All Blacks book uh, Legacy. Which yeah, like, of course you've read. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't? I I no, it's on my shelf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they call it redhead, bluehead. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. As in redhead is when you're kind of all over the place, and that bluehead is that calm, focused state. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, when I when I graph the EEG activity in a sort of heat map of like. Uh, good focus state sort of that like alpha low beta versus what so when they're performing well they literally have a blue head yeah. like that's what shows up in my my heat map and it's red when they've got busy brain and worry and rumination anxiety mm-hmm. so that's exciting to show it in a sport uh the other than just archery marksmanship or golf because uh, that's all they've done it so far um and with surgeons as well But then the next step is what we do is once we understand that, we can train it. So the neurofeedback, and I do do this with athletes as part of the skill set that I do, and I work with quite a few teams with this, is you hook an athlete up to a computer. So I'm measuring their brainwaves, and it's automatically cycling. So they're basically seeing their brainwaves live on the computer Mm -hmm. in the form of a video game or a sound. So if you picture a dart moving towards a dartboard. Okay. So I set my thresholds to say, I want you to be in that focused range and I want you to limit distracted work and I want you to limit worried. Okay. So when your brain is producing that focus, that beta, but is limiting wandering and limiting worry, then that dart's going to move forward. But then you heard something in the other room or you go, Oh, I'm, you know, what's for lunch? And it'll stop. Mm. And then if you know, as an athlete, you're like, why is it stopping? Come on, let's go, let's go. Or, Oh no, what am I doing wrong? Like all the things that kind of might come up even in, in a game or whatever is what's making it stop even more. So it's really based on an operant conditioning loop where, um, as the athlete sort of understands what a distraction is versus a focus is, they learn to, they basically change their brain. (laughs) It changes so that they learn how to focus and how to manage Mm. distraction. Yeah, and I think I think for practical terms, like 
the the work that Gilbert Anoka has done with in terms of blue head red head for coaches out there if you do have you know players who struggle with emotional control and I uh, spent most of my uh, career struggling with mo- emotional control on the field I found the blue head red head uh, concept and and just some ways to bring yourself back down when you feel you're tipping over the edge and just to ground yourself are uh, really beneficial so yeah the 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 legacy book would be definitely one that should be uh, on on coaches uh, must read yeah and i agree like it, like when you're talking about measuring brain waves that's not really practical in a day-to-day environment mm. i totally get that but the 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 for me it's the same thing we do when we talk to athletes we're talking about distractions we're talking about focus we're talking about skills to do that it's just sort of a heightened way for that athlete to recognize what their distractions are a little bit quicker and change it so it it, it doesn't change the effectiveness of going through understanding focus and and working through distractions like that redhead blue head or keeping a cue like that it's just kind of a different more quantitative way to look at it Mm. i mean we also do biofeedback which uses the same process but with all your stress response so your heart rate your respiration rate how sweaty your palms get, how cold your fingertips get, and your muscle tension, which is all your fight or flight response. Right. So the same thing, you see that on the computer, you don't realize your your muscles are tense, but the computer's telling you. So you say, okay, now lower it. And you understand the contrast. You understand how to bring it to a level that's most effective for your performance. Mm, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some, you know, you could talk about that that stuff for, for ages. I really, that's that's a big part of my coaching that I really enjoy is, is is giving giving players some of those tools that, that can help them um, yep. in those performance times. Um, where we're actually working together this season, um, you, you've come on board with the Concordia women's team, which is awesome. Uh, Hall of Famer working with uh, female athletes who are just going to be stoked uh, to have you as a big part of, of the team. So, um, you know, I'm really excited for that and hopefully we're on the field sooner rather than later. Um, but we've been doing some some Zoom meetings as a, as a group and you've also been meeting with the players a lot. And, and one of the things you brought up uh, with, with us as coaches but also with the players is uh, this concept of, of uh, emotional responses to disaster and that there has actually been you know some research involved in in how do humans re- respond to to disasters or or global you know pandemics like we're in now and and what are some of the ups and downs and and you know how can we potentially um, assist our our fellow you know coaches and also our players do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that that graph of emotional responses to disaster and and just a, a little bit of detail of the stages that that uh, people might move through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting because we, you may have heard of the stages of uh, like Kubler-Ross's grief response curve, which is fairly well known in response to death and dying, which is, you, you know, a good way to look at any kind of impact uh, emotionally that goes back and forth. But this, this is particularly relevant in this time. And I found even more so relevant to the athletes. And you might see yourself in this you might see your athletes in this, um, but it is, so it is based on research and it's psychosocial phases of disaster. So uh, it's kind of, if you were to visualize it, the bottom is the phases and then the top is whether you have a positive or negative uh, emotional response. So in the first phase, called the warning or threat phase that might have been when you were just starting to hear about covid like what's happening in china exactly so it's where people might have initially a pretty good response saying oh this is no problem and some people might feel a little bit more vulnerable so you got people on their side but we're like like in the middle of our our curve here and then then what we have is the rescue phase and that's when the disaster hits. So that's when it hit us, when we got locked in, when we couldn't travel, when we couldn't do stuff. So it's, it's similar to that Kubler-Ross where there's shock and denial and disorientation and just a not really understanding. So some real negative emotional responses that happen very immediately. But what's different and interesting in this curve is that it actually starts to rise um, and what it turns from anxiety to this strength and hero phase. Mm. Uh, and I know I've seen this in a lot of athletes and I certainly see it in coaches in this desire to sort of help everyone to 
to get out there, to help people that are struggling, to show, to share, like how many free things did you see? How many people are sharing their workouts, mm. being creative, you know, yeah. like reaching out. So it's this like hero phase. It's really positive in, in general, like right after the impact, we get pretty positive. Um, and we leads, it leads to what's the next phase is called the honeymoon phase, uh, where we might express some like sort of gratitude, feel optimistic, you know, altruistic, want to donate and really feel like we've come together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you're laughing because I'm guessing you're, you're recognizing yourself in this. Yeah, I'm past that. <laughs> I'm, I'm on, I'm on the slide now, the next part. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're yeah. Yourself- in events. So yeah, yeah, as, as great as that is, um, there is, yeah, as this drags on and you consider like the longer a pandemic is going to last, these phases are going to be more, uh, difficult. So mm. we go through that, we work hard and then, uh, and then there's the disillusionment phase where we start sliding back down on the negative side of the emotional response with discouragement, fatigue. I mean, especially since it's been so long, I mean, mm stress, blame, anger, like when is this going to be over? Anger at people, sadness, grief even, um, mm. especially for athletes and coaches who are really actually acknowledging and grieving the loss of a season perhaps or, mm. you know, a major competition like the Olympics, uh, Paralympics or so on and so forth. It's like, uh, so it's a, it's a pretty significant bumpy ride down. Mm. So we might feel there. Uh, and again, the longer a pandemic lasts, the longer that might feel. The, the last phase in this graph is recovery and reconstruction. Um, so similar to Kubler-Ross, like reorganization, where we start maybe accepting. So it's been really long and we're, we're sort of fitting into the routine. We understand, we start to accept the, the new normal, as everybody's calling it. Mm. I'm saying, quote, new normal. Um, but that road is, that is bumpy. So w- let's say it, if you were to picture it, it looks like a really rough terrain ahead where we're going to have this feelings of acceptance, but then there might be a trigger event. So we, right now we don't know if there's going to be a rugby season. We hope there will be, but you know what? A trigger event might be they officially cancel it, right? Mm. Then we might sort of start feeling a little bit better. We're integrating. We're, we're starting to come back and even train together as athletes. So we might get more hope. But then again, mm. we might hear, you know, another wave of COVID, right? Mm. So there's uh, – it's kind of a – particularly with this type of pandemic, it might be a really long bumpy road with ups and downs ahead. Mm. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's everyone's feeling it and everyone's at different stages as well. And I think it, it's so personal. It depends on your situation, uh, and you know, the people around you and, and those kind of things. So, yeah, I think it's fascinating and I think it's, it's good to know this in advance because, I think if you know your athletes well, you're going to be able to probably say, I think these five athletes are going to be, they're the ones I need to support and they're the ones I need to help in this situation. Um, and just staying connected as a, as a group I think is really important and having players help out other players and report back to you if necessary. So I think it's it's great information for coaches. What, what, what would be some things that you're, you'd encourage coaches to do based on this um, this graph? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's, I think just sharing what it could look like, because if we're in that hero cohesion phase, that's great. Mm. And I, you don't want to take away from that because it's no. actually positive, right? But it's to say, hey, you know what's, you know, things might change the longer this gets. And that's okay. But if you present it, then people are prepared for it. So it's a less steep of a curve when they go, oh, shoot, now I'm feeling that fatigue, that downward thing, they're, they're already prepared or they're already aware that it might happen. Um, so just presenting that, that it's a bumpy road and say, like, obviously if you say it's a long road, but we're in this together, that's huge. You talked about sharing, uh, talking to your athletes, huge, having them talk to each other. Like you said, everybody's different. So this, this curve is not everybody's experiencing the same thing at the same time. So maybe Mm -hmm. somebody, in, you know, in a restoration phase can really help somebody in a discouragement phase or vice versa, you know, mm. um, but just being together, that sort of cohesion across a really difficult time is essential for uh, teams. And I think when we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit, but um, resi- like teams that have gone through difficult events together end up being more resilient. So that mm. leads to resilience and better performance 
having gone through a tough time. So the more you can do this together, the better it will be in the end when you do come out of it. You'll come out of it stronger and more cohesive as a team. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely get to that. And one, one of the things that you've been uh, pushing with the, with the girls is um, just the concept of, of thriving during this time and you know with a big with a big focus on perspective and self-compassion can you can you talk a little bit about some of the messages you've been sending the players and 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 encouraging them to reflect on during during that part yeah i think uh, it's it is my perspective because i mean you you see a pandemic and you think we got to survive this and we're going to survive it so mm-hmm. i i shifted it and i shift a lot the way that i think to try to reframe it as in well we can we can survive it but we can not only survive it but we can thrive it like we can actually get something out of this and um i will always bracket this that that there are important emotions and everything that's going on so we uh, will practice self compassion at the same time but i think it's truly we can frame it as as an opportunity um, in many different ways. I kind of have like, I have my my 10 tips, right? Um, uh, with it that go along with how to cope in a difficult situation, but also mm-hmm. how to use these sports like skills to cope and to, to, I guess, find a way to better yourself at the same time. So uh, my tip number one would be to identify emotions and talk. So mm-hmm. to name that emotion. So what we did with that, graph if you can say hey i'm sad you know i'm grieving the loss of my season just naming it really changes your perspective it kind of minimizes that emotion initially um and maybe if we're stuck in the hero phase it's 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 we're blocking it but just naming it talking about it if you don't like talking to people that's okay just journal about it Mm -hmm. um and it's it's great to be able to have that connection with teammates so that you can talk so the the more cohesive the better uh, tip two would be to focus on what you can control yeah. and park the rest. And it's probably like, I'm sure everybody's heard that a million times, but especially in a pandemic, there's so much we can't control. We can't control when the season's going to start, if it's going to start, um, if I'm going to get sick, right? But you can control your attitude, your perspective, how you socially isolate, like all of those things. So um, it doesn't minimize that we're scared of things. It sort of acknowledges them and just puts them to the side Mm -hmm. and brings a way to focus on something else. Yeah. And as you said, for perspective, so I I would call it reframe and lean in. Um, And you may have heard this before, but a Chinese word for crisis is Y Chi. And it's formed of two characters, uh, one meaning danger mm. and one meaning opportunity. Right. So with every crisis, there is the potential threat, and but also an opportunity. And you can think about that in every game, right? A game where we might not win, that's pretty scary, that's dangerous, but what an opportunity to show what we can do, right? Mm. To say, well, this is a threatening situation, things have changed, but what's the opportunity? Like, what can I learn from this? How can I use this? And that's what I mean by when I say lean in is it's not an ideal situation. And and the example I have comes, well, I would refer anyone to read the blog of Kevin Rempel. He's a sledge hockey, a national team sledge hockey player for Canada. Um, and he blogs about journaling. So in sledge hockey, he was, he was paralyzed in a motocross accident and he was sitting in his hospital bed and um, people gave him a whole bunch of journals. And he's like, I don't want to journal. That's not me. Whatever. Um, and you can imagine how difficult that might realizing you're paralyzed in the hospital. What do I do? You know, like this is a threatening. This is a negative situation. But somebody came in and challenged him. He says, well, how can you use this? And he even shows a picture of what he journaled. He said, how can I use this? So we think of, you know, a pandemic, it's awful. I can't go out. I can't be with my teammates, but Mm. how can I use this to build my relationships? Can I use this to practice self-care? Can I use this to learn a new skill? Right. Mm. Um, So it's not discounting that things are hard. It's reframing it and leaning into the difficulty of it. Yeah, and I think on that we'll come back to the points, the tips for sure. But I think on that one, we exchanged a few messages before the interview, and I was kind of, I was a bit fired up by this. Uh, there's a bit of a Twitter trend going around about, you know, if you don't come out of this with 
you know, a, a, a new hustle and, a, you know, you've learned seven languages and, and you've earned a million dollars or all this kind of stuff, um, you, 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 it's not opportunity. You're just never motivated or you're lazy and those kind of things. And I think uh, that kind of fired me up because I think, again, everyone's situation's different. And I felt in the first kind of three weeks, I was like, there's so many webinars and I haven't watched a single one. And so I was starting to get it feeling a bit guilty about, you know, I'm meant to be a coach trying to better myself, but I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up. I just was trying to keep things going in the house with the kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, that that's important for people to, to reflect on that, what their situation is. Yeah. I think particularly in, um, in sport with athletes and with coaches and people involved in sport, we're so used to pushing, persevering, mm you know, achieving goals, working hard, that a phase like this is just something we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so many other things are added to your plate in a different way. So, and, and you said everybody's different. Maybe you've got now kids at home that you've got to like manage and work and do this, or maybe you lost your job and you have nothing to do, mm-hmm. right? That can be challenging in a different way. You don't know exactly, how to yeah. yourself and you don't really understand. So you're right. And I would say some people can really buy into that, like, use this opportunity and as a motivation. And if I don't come out learning something, then that's great. And if it works for you, that's great. But don't mm-hmm. use to blame yourself for not achieving things. I think um, we, we need to sort of take a perspective on where we're at and be a little more compassionate and understanding mm-hmm. who we actually are. So, and when I mean, when I say, how can you use this? It's, it's not like you have to, write a book, right? Mm. But maybe you want to, maybe, maybe part of that plan is actually practicing self-compassion. Maybe Mm. it's reflecting, maybe it's recovery. Like we talked a lot to our athletes, particularly the wheelchair rugby team I work with, uh, that it's an optimal time to take care of your body. Those athletes training and working and like, and coaches who don't have a break, Mm. not that you necessarily have a break, but you work so hard, push so hard that we rarely have this time to actually sit recover our body our mind reflect see where we want to be um in that way so by using it it doesn't mean killing yourself it means reflecting on how you can be better and maybe it's that way for sure yeah totally agree all right where are we up to number five i think is the next one (laughs) so so, (laughs) four five i don't know yeah i feel like there's so many but in the end okay uh four would be revisit your purpose so Mm -hmm. Our purposes are why our reason, our, as coaches, as athletes, we have this reason for being, reason for doing what we do. And, you know, to have that helps us on the days that are hard. So if I do this to, um, if I'm a coach and I do this because I want to empower people, remember that on the days that are hard. It's mm. just, it'll help you refocus on the days when you're trying to get things going and maybe don't have that motivation. I, as an athlete, I always, well, I kind of share this my goal was to play for team Canada. And what I did was I put a post not a post, a little cue card on the floor that said, I will play for team Canada. And I stepped on that every single morning. And you know what? It was just a reminder as to why you're waking up early, why you're working hard. Right. And it's, mm. and it's positive too. So just to revisit your purpose, give yourself some structure. And here's where I'll say structure can help you achieve these goals, but like also give yourself the structure to recover and to be, um, like compassionate at the same time. So, so giving yourself some structure is giving yourself a routine. Cause some of us yeah. are faced with, with athletes, particularly We've, our lives have been scheduled from like the morning you wake up to even peeing into a cup at a certain time. Like <laughs> literally it is so structured that it, this is very different. Right. So give yourself some structure, just pick the things you want to do. And even if they're small, right, this mm. is, can help with the, the motivation, and when we talk about we athletes and coaches, we're, we're so outcome, we're not outcome driven in a bad way, but we always have goals and we always have a reward. So there's a competition, there's a meet, I can see, I can evaluate, but that's missing right now. So we really have to take that outcome goal and kind of put it on the shelf or on the side for now mm-hmm. so that you can focus on the process and maybe that's the small things you can do to be better. Yeah. Um, Stay healthy physically and mentally. I think that's going to be repetitive. But if you exercise, eat well, don't drink too much, are outside, you will be healthier. Your Mm -hmm. brain will be healthier and more positive. 
You can take the time to breathe, meditate, relax, practice mindfulness and Mm -hmm. self-compassion. Gratitude, number seven. um, That one actually expressing gratitude, saying I'm grateful for even things like seeing the sun today, seeing a flower, whatever it might be. Actually, Mm. it's the chemicals in your brain and can release some really good neurotransmitters that boost you up. Uh, and the last two, uh, the last two, so eight, uh, actually, sorry, eight would be drawing your strengths. You have persevered before. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about resilience, you can search for your strengths. We've, we, particularly athletes, we've all been through tough times. Uh, t- not, not to minimize it. We've all been resilient in situations before. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn? How did you do it? Who did you talk to? How did you reach out? How did you, um, how did you persevere? Right. Those are things you can do again and things that you can reach out to, to find. And finally, just stay connected. Face to face connection is even mm-hmm. better. Um, I think a lot of people are doing that on zoom all the time. Our meetings with Concordia are on zoom and seeing, seeing faces and talking to your teammates makes, a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I've, uh, for the last couple of, uh, Saturday nights had, um, house party, uh, meetings with old rugby mates that, uh, yeah. we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we haven't chatted this much, uh, in five years, you know, and it's, uh, the last month we've been having a beer together over house party, uh, you know, for, for 45 minutes and, uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's some great tips there. There's some really good advice there. And I think, I think coaches can get a, a huge amount out of that, and you know, to to help uh, with how they because that's why we do it. Really, we one of the big reasons we all coach is to to help people get better and help our athletes. And this is a perfect time, so um, that's awesome. Uh, what about you know when we actually do get back to playing? Um, you mentioned the the term resilience before. What are yeah. your what are your ideas around that, and how do we how do we you know benefit? Uh, in a positive way from the situation when we do come out of the other end and uh, become more resilient, more cohesive as a, as a playing group. Yeah. Well, I think that this is actually a true opportunity we have as coaches and athletes to build uh, our, our ability to be resilient. There is a recent, a 2020 article um, on um, exploring psychological resilience in world-class coaches and how they develop it in athletes. And I thought it was fantastic and just wanted to share a few things. And I thought that, that like, how relevant it is for right now. So number one is like, what's the definition? So we say bounce back, does this, whatever. But say the definition of real resilience is really the role of mental processes and behavior in promoting personal assets and protecting an individual from potential negative effects of stressors. I know that's very wordy. It is a, mm-hmm. it is an academic thing, but think about it as how we think and what we do that promotes our assets that enable us or that protect us from the potential effect of stressors. Mm. So, and another interesting thing too, is resilience is not the, by definition, it's not actually like bouncing back and being great. Resilience just means you can, you can, you can come back. So Mm -hmm. to the normal, it's not necessarily about coming out in this whole new performance level. It's really, how can we, uh, manage. So they interviewed these uh, like world-class uh, Olympic level coaches. And there was a, like a lot of few things. They talked about the stressors that coaches ha- experience, which are, are, is pretty common. But what I thought was really interesting was that um, what those, the characteristics of those specific coaches that helped prevent or protect them from negative consequences of stressors. So that made them more resilient. So those coaches identified a couple a couple things that made them more resilient on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So one was uh, their ability to view pressure and setbacks in a positive way. Um, so that is completely related to your perspective, right? It's related to that seeing threat opportunity to see setbacks as an opportunity um, and or, or a chance to improve, right? Um, another one was perceived social support. Okay, so the coaches that felt more resilient or had more of like that potential um, had social support from a variety of sources. And that's something that, you know, especially when we're isolated, we might start losing. Mm. But 
perfect opportunity to build this, like perfect opportunity to reach out, reach out to mentors like you're doing right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally yeah. reach out to other coaches, talk, share, right? Um, because only now in this difficult situation, but as you come back, you've built a network even mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Number three was maintaining work-life balance. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting one right now that they say that by having a work-life balance and engaging in things other than just coaching, um, helped with their ability to be resilient. And now I think maybe in this time, our work-life balance is thrown all over the place. Right. I just took a deep breath when you said work-life balance. Yeah, Cause <laughs> I'm pretty much working two full-time jobs right now. Yeah. I know, but it's added too, right? Mm. Now you got your kids. So beyond mm. what you were probably already working pretty hard to manage mm. that balance. And now it's even more challenging. Mm. So even more reason to be a little more compassionate with like the the challenge of having to produce results or mm-hmm. having to come out with things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the goal should be to come out with finding a little more balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good tip. I just wrote that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we we don't we don't default think that way. High performers don't yeah. always default think that way. Yeah. Um, the other one was having a secure work environment, which is interesting because it's not always in a coach's control and mm. can be, is, could be totally thrown up in the air in this time. Um, and I'd say maybe the way to work with it in this situation. So they say having a secure work environment, um, enables them to be more resilient and more confident, but maybe you can reflect on what is my working environment? How could I make it more secure? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Um, coaches were also had durable motivation, so they just had the ability to keep themselves continuously motivated when faced with pressure. Um, and so again, in this situation, you are doing that, right? It's just, it's a different environment. So just Mm -hmm. take it into perspective that you might be able to make these decisions on the field in rugby and that's normal and natural, but COVID is totally different situation, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then uh, effective, the, the ability to self-reflect uh, reflect and analyze and make decisions when under pressure is the other thing that kind of made them more resilient. Yeah. So I really like that, that self-reflection and uh, ability to analyze is a good tool that you can use right now um, as a coach uh, in this time, like sort of to, uh, to build the resilience, right? And really, again, it's building a set, a toolbox of behaviors and thoughts and skills that can protect you against the consequences of these stressors. That's what makes resilience. Awesome. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, the other part was the, uh, yeah, and this isn't my research, so it's uh, like I shouldn't claim it, but it's great. Um, it, it was by Sakar and Hilton in 2020, um, and I can share the article with you for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, the other part that I thought was really fascinating and pertinent at the moment is how they produced, uh, or how they enhanced resilience in their athletes. And keep in mind, this is like non COVID related, but I think it's now is a good opportunity to work on these types of things. Mm. So it was framed mostly around creating a facilitative environment. Well, so the way they describe that is coaches creating a challenging, but supportive environment. So the athletes could thrive as both a person and performer. Mm-hmm. So there's important parts of that. It's like a challenging but supportive. So you might have heard of um, like psychological safety. So where you really push that athlete, but they're in an environment where they feel it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm okay. This coach, trust me. I know they're pushing me to get me better. Right. So it's creating that environment where you can continuously push and challenge, but they feel supported along the way. Um, the, the, the four things they talked about that to create that was developing a strong coach Ashley relationship. Mm. So talk to your athletes, just go out there and ask them how their day was yeah. like, like developing a strong relationship doesn't have to be, um, all X's and O's. It can be like, Hey, what's going on in your life right now? Mm. Are you struggling? Yeah. Or, or what's good? What did you, what happened that was good today? Right? Like just conversation outside of sport, you know, let them know that this is a different situation. 
um, create that environment. So challenge yourself maybe to see how I can create, and I know we're not on the field right now, but like how I can now and in the future create that environment that provides both challenge and support. Mm. And I find that like a good example is especially like with, uh, I've used before the dawn on me, but the coach who says, you know, I want you to make mistakes. I want you to make mistakes, go out there and go do it. But then they get mad at you. When you <laughs> Very right? first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that ruins, like that actually really undermines a relationship mm. and you're basically, uh, that's the high challenge, but the support isn't real. So you can choose to reflect now on, on how you do do that and how you build your, your environment. And you can even, well, even for example, now, how do you challenge your athletes in this time, but also be super supportive and facilitative, mm. right? Mm. So say, Hey, I really want you to work out. Um, or, or how can I help you work out? Right. And challenge them with something, but also be understanding if they're, if they're struggling, like maybe they're really worried about finances or something like that. So how can you do that and bring it into the season? Um, and, and, and they actually just identified other, af- um, factors that help with resilience is having resilient athletes themselves, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, their nature and so on. So, I mean, I just, in the end, I thought that was really valuable to say, like, this is a good time to sort of build your own resilience as a coach through mm-hmm. self-reflection, self-care, compassion, build your support network, maybe think and work on life balance or imbalance is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, revisit your why, right? Uh, revisit your why and, and make uh, make your schedule have some balance and then build it in your athletes by just reaching out, building those relationships. And that doesn't have to be X's and O's. It can just be a, Hey, how's it going? Mm -hmm. Especially right now. And like think and reflect on how we create those environments that really promotes a challenging, but safe environment. And, uh, if you want any book to help you do that, read growth mindset by Carol Dweck. Absolutely. No, it changed. It changed the way I teach, how I coach, how I parent. It's uh, it's phenomenal. Um, That's awesome because I think uh, that term resilience is probably right up there with being one of the most overused under under kind of understood words as like something like team culture. You know, you you hear those things, but but what does it actually mean? So I think you've, you've really put some really good markers down for coaches to, yeah. to go off there. So awesome. Thank you. And talking about resilient athletes, um, you, you've spent quite a bit of time with the Canadian National Wheelchair Rugby Team. Um, mm-hmm. How has that experience been? Uh, it must be pretty awesome. And what, what has been some of your big kind of takeaways from that role so far? Um, you're right. It is awesome. I describe it that way. Uh, if you don't know wheelchair rugby, um, our rules are very, not even close. So (laughs) formerly known as murder ball. Yes. Formerly, (laughs) but and that's the reason they changed it is they thought that that was maybe not appropriate for Paralympic sports. So they rugby, which is relatable in a way of the passion, the contact and everything, but the rules are quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was going to say with, with how far maybe it is a little bit different on the court. Uh, it is so similar as far as culture. Like Mm -hmm. if we think of what, what, what we all love about rugby is how connected we are on performance level, on social level, on just a wider club team family, atmosphere that this is the biggest family that I've worked with on a national level. Like Mm. they are so connected and worked well together that it's just the culture of it is very similar to a 15s or rugby culture as well. Mm. Um, My bigger takeaways, I know like everybody would say for sure, it was one of the first uh, para Olympic sports or para sports that I've ever worked with. And you wonder what's going to be different. And, um, I'd say it's more similar than different. Mm -hmm. These are elite athletes that have the schedule that any other athlete does goes through even more. Um, for sure there was a lot of different learnings, but you know what? They're, they're high performers. I Mm. think not that I didn't expect that, but the biggest takeaway is that they're high performers and, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. It's like a, well, just like any other team, it's a pleasure to work with, athletes that are that dedicated to mm. to their team and to their family so 
Yeah, yeah, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think um, my my knowledge is pretty limited, but I think both Canada and Australia are right up there in terms of uh, Canadian wheelchair uh, in terms of wheelchair rugby on an on an international level. Yep, uh, Australia is the reigning world champs. There right we now. go. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're coming for you. Go for <laughs> awesome, that's cool. All right, nice. All right, well, um, we, you've mentioned a few books there um, that that coaches could look out for, and and probably many have already gotten into. What what would you have as uh, some other resources that you'd recommend for coaches who are who are interested in sports psychology and you know uh, developing their skills around that that area. Yeah, like there's a million books out there, um, but I, I'm going to go back to the ones that I've already mentioned because yeah. I think um, they're some of the best. Legacy, by far, if you haven't read it as a coach, you need to. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but I'm just saying that is like mm. the best book I've read on culture. And of course, I'm biased because it's rugby, mm-hmm. but it's better than any other book on culture that I've read. And it's readable, too. Mm. Um, In Pursuit of Excellence. You read it. I yeah, read it. It's, it's a little bit older, but fantastic. Mm. Gives you some actual tools and, and stuff. Growth Mindset. Um by Carol Dweck. Um, and I actually really appreciate the biography of GSP, Jarson yeah, right. MMA fighter called the way of the fight. So it's an autobiography and it's not related to sports psychology, but I know from the research on mental toughness that this is a perfect example mm. of what that looks like. Uh, so it's like, I recommend that to, to athletes all the time, just because you can, pick up so much that's not like reading from a textbook so yeah great i'm gonna throw one in too um i love the book uh, mind gym by gary mack um yeah. and i just love how usable it is it's tiny chapters three or four pages but uh really applicable for so many uh different situations and the amount of times i've taken photos on my phone and sent you know, five pages to an athlete and say, have a read of this, tell me what you think, let's let's chat. Yeah. Um, that, that one's a great one as well, mind Jim. Yeah, that's – totally agree. Totally. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Um, all right, we're going to – before we finish off with the final four questions, you're, you're involved in a really cool project. This, uh, this episode is uh, – Sponsored, I uh, we we did I did a little ad read at the beginning for a, for a group called Rugby Soup in Montreal. It's a uh, it's a conglomeration of of rugby, you know, the rugby community in Montreal who are getting together and they're they're basically cooking soup for the homeless and delivering it. And uh, you're somewhat involved in that. I, I believe you're the the webmaster, the the <laughs> internet genius there for the webpage. Um, yeah. yeah, could you just talk a little bit about that and uh, and you know how important it is at, at this time? Sure. And I just want to say it is it is 100% James Acker who did this. I am just a volunteer and love to yeah. support it. But uh, yeah, we he has brought the rugby community together in Montreal to cook and deliver soup sandwiches and chili to to different homes and it's just a wonderful like as we talked before family rugby culture type thing to do uh served almost six thousand meals i think to uh since since the beginning of our lockdown um to different shelters in the area and for sure it's part of that hero phase in our our um in our graph, but it certainly makes us feel pretty good and it gives us a chance to, to give back and to come together as a community. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put all the, all the relevant links in the show notes. So if people are interested in, in donating or even just, just checking out the website and checking out some cool stuff and maybe getting inspired themselves for their local community, uh, it'll be all up in the show notes. All right. Well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. Uh, when you were early in your career, back in year 10, uh, when you started playing rugby, uh, who, were, who were some of the players that you looked up to and you were, you were really inspired by? Well, my biggest mentor is Jose Lacasse, uh, yeah. from played Canada, but played for my club team in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she's hard-nosed straightforward uh i'm still terrified of her to this day although i'll call her like one of my best friends i'll also say that she still intimidates me um but yeah i've always looked up to her uh as far as how 
she led by example um, and had really high standards as, and was such an excellent person and player. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, she's good value and uh, I, lo- I love that family. They're awesome and uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree with uh, with the intimidation factor there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, what about players now? Who are some of the players going around that you, that you like? That's that's so hard, and I thought about it too. But I just have to say that I I admire and respect all my all the Canadian female athletes. I know that's maybe an unfair way to answer that, but what we've gone through and the fact that the 15s team is still paying for most of what they play, like uh, paying for how they play, um, I respect that. I respect so much every woman on the rugby sevens team for what they've done for women's rugby in Canada, the recognition and support that they've brought, like the, the, like people are seeing it, are enjoying it, are playing it. And we're really, we're top in the world. Like I, I, there's not one that I think I, um, they, I respect and follow each one of those, those women on both of those teams. Yeah. Cool. No, it's a good, it's a good, it's a fair answer, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. All good. good. Um, And what about coaches? Uh, Who's a high profile coach that you you really look up to and uh, admire what they, what they do or have done? Uh, So it's always a little bit emotional when I stare it, but uh, Rick Mm -hmm. Suggett has been one of the largest influences in my life. Uh, Sluggo, um, if you talk about a coach that you would literally go to war for, he is that person. Uh, so I couldn't say anything more than just how uh, great he was. He's mm. by far my top, my best uh, favorite coach. Yeah, and I I, I never got to meet him uh, before he passed away. But one thing I know is every athlete that talks about him talks about him exactly like you do, and you know that that speaks you know volumes <laughs> in terms of what kind of what kind of coach and person he was for sure. Yeah, and if you go back to all the stuff we talked about, he, it one actually think about it. Somebody's asked me why he was so good when I was doing it, and I I reflected and I was like, you know what? He would tell me uh, he would he would be so, he was authentic. The word I would use for him is authentic because he would be like, great job, Summer. That was fu- that was fucking amazing. And he would always use the story if I'm not allowed to swear. No. Like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. with him, it was yeah. <laughs> Great, that was phenomenal. That's why you did it well. And he'd also say, "Why? What the fuck did you just do?" So he would be like, "But I respected that. Like yeah. so many coaches, you you fear that, like negative, not negative feedback. But he was just so authentic with it that mm. I believed him, and I, and and I think every girl did. But that he built that relationship where you felt safe, even when he's giving you a hard time. Yeah, so, yeah. Now that's awesome. Now that's 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 pretty special. Cool. And last question, who's a, who's a coach uh, in your local community who's doing really good work and you, you feel deserves a shout out? Yeah, I think, well, there, you know, I've been outside of Montreal for a while, but uh, I know that uh, Scott Barrington, who recently moved over to the Irish, is doing a lot of great work with, uh, with rugby. And I know he has got a passion for the game and developing mm-hmm. the game um that's really impressed me in what he's done to date yeah yeah no i agree and uh, i'm working on a little project with him too so that was that was cool that i got to see that you put that name down when i when i saw yeah. it on my form so um i agree and uh, we just need you know clubs aside we just need passionate coaches in the community who are going to grow the game and um you know make it make it to steal one of your words to make it thrive yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fully, fully agree. All right, Summer, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, so much to think about and reflect on, and I think coaches are going to be really stoked with this one uh, in terms of um, how applicable it is in, in the, the current circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, so I really want to thank you for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge and your passion uh, around this area. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank yeah, you. No worries. Cheers. This episode of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast is proudly brought to you by Rocky Analytics. During this time of reflection, rugby coaches are looking for new ways to help their players improve. Rocky's non-biased approach to game analytics gives coaches and players the ability to identify strengths and weaknesses in their game, highlighting specifically what skills need improving to become successful. Rocky has redesigned the entire performance analysis landscape in order to answer that key question, is my team getting any better? Rocky has the answers. 
find out more on rucky.com, R-U-C-K-I-E.com, or find them on Twitter, LinkedIn, or YouTube. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Rugby Soup. Rugby Soup is a not-for-profit organization born from the Montreal rugby community during the COVID-19 pandemic and focuses on minimizing food insecurity for the city's homeless population. They are producing over 150 meals per day and have delivered almost 6,000 since the pandemic began. A donation of $15 can produce 50 servings of soup and help this organization continue its amazing work. To find out how to support, visit rugbysoup.com, R-U-G-B-Y-S-O-U-P-E.com and click on the Donate tab. for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.